Well, the hits don't stop. Don't stop until you get enough. That seems to be the agenda of Pope Francis and the crew in Rome at the Vatican. For all these years, we've been plagued. There's a huge financial scandal, scandal going on right now, Cardinal Betchu, and I bet you that's going to go bad. We have had the motu proprio, Traditiones Custodis, restricting the traditional Latin Mass, undermining what Pope Ben XVI has done. We have had all private Masses at the Vatican abolished in favor of a concelebration of the Novus Ordo. And today, this very day, a Luther table, a wooden table was set up at the shrine, well not the shrine, the chapel of St. Joseph. It's in the left transept. If you've been to St. Peter's, you go to the left side. And here's what's going on. There's two things people are noticing. So as you can see, there's an altar rail here, protecting the altar. They took a wooden table. Now, granted, parts of this thing are old. Took a wooden table and they just said, you know, let's just put it outside the altar rail. Just right there in the middle of the floor. The church was not built for this. It's a complete corruption of the architecture. If you look at what was built here, there's a nice apse which is half of a dome. Uh, there's a, a very nice, there's two columns with a triangular piece above it. Below that is a tabernacle with six candlesticks and a beautiful altar with relics in it and beautiful art for the priest to look at and meditate while he celebrates the holy sacrifice and the people. But no, 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 we got to neglect all this beauty, all this architecture and put a Martin Luther table just out on the floor. People are going to sit there and look at Father's face while he celebrates the Novus Ordo versus Populum. This is what Martin Luther wanted. This is what Martin Luther wanted. And this is what Pope Francis wants. And I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it. We're going to pray the Our Father in Latin. And I'm going to also talk about Luther's agenda for communion on the hand and for tables like this table right here. And then you'll notice on the table is an upside down cross. And I'm going to explain what that means, why it may not be as bad as you expect, but why I also think it's a pastoral problem and it's not in line with the Pope's teaching on mercy and accompaniment. So we'll get into that too today. Let us pray and ask God our Father, to have mercy on us, we'll pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught, the Our Father. Oremos. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos educas in tentationem, se libera nos malo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Let's talk about the theology of altars 
the theology of altars. Archbishop Vigano referenced this yesterday. Actually, the statement came out over the weekend, but I covered it yesterday. How the stones will cry out. If these are silent, Christ says on Palm Sunday, even the stones will, will, call, will cry out. And Archbishop Vigano says this is like these beautiful altars, these stone altars carved and erected in order to be the place of sacrifice, the Golgotha in our churches. And instead, they are neglected. Sometimes they're even profaned. And we bring in, or they bring in, Luther and his children bring in the wooden tables. Now, Martin Luther insisted on wooden tables. So did Cramner in England. So did John Calvin in Switzerland. The Huguenots in France. All the Protestants insisted on wooden tables. And their reason was, well, it is the Lord's Supper. It is just a meal. And since it's just a meal, it should be eaten like a meal at home. So at my house, down the stairs behind me, we have a breakfast area, and there's a wooden table there where we eat breakfast. And then we have a, a dining room, a formal area, where we have feast days and holidays, and it's a big, long table. It's also made out of wood. This is where we eat our meals. Now, the Protestant reformers denied transubstantiation. They did not believe that the bread transubstantiated in the body of Christ, and they did they denied that the wine transubstantiated into the blood of Christ. They thought that was superstition. Martin Luther and John Calvin referred to the Mass as idolatry because people were worshiping bread and wine, and it was idolatry. And if Luther's correct, we Catholics are idolaters because we're worshiping bread and wine. But we know that that's not the case. By faith, we know that the bread transubstantiates and actually is, doesn't symbolize, it is the body of Christ. And the wine transubstantiates and is the blood of Christ. Forgot to say, please like this video, share it on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe if you are new. If that's the case, it's a meal, it is a supper, but it's more than a meal and more than a supper. Because in Catholicism, when we read the four Gospels, we see that in the upper room, when Christ institutes the Eucharist, it then begins the process of Christ entering into the Passion. If you pray the Rosary every day, which you should, you know that he goes into the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, crowning with thorns, carrying the cross, crucified. All of this fits together. The, the Last Supper, the meal, is the intro to the Passion. It's all connected. So to say that the Mass is just a meal is basically just buying into chapter 1 and not the whole book. He, On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. The key here is on which he was betrayed. The passion has begun. The betrayal has begun. The Lamb of God is prepared for sacrifice. So the reason they 
emphasize and insist on wooden tables is they want to take the Golgotha, the crucifixion, the altar out of the liturgy and they want it to be sharing is caring, a meal, a supper, informal. Everybody come stand up around the wooden table. Everybody hold hands. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Bollinger, Cramner, Martin Bootser, all of these heretics, these horrible heretics, also taught that it should be a wooden altar and it should not be against the wall or pushed away from the people. It should be brought out amongst the people because it's the people's meal. This is how the heretics operated and they destroyed, by doing these things, they destroyed the people's faith in the Eucharist. What else did Martin Luther insist on? John Calvin, Martin Bootser, Bollinger, as a matter of fact, Thomas Cramner, the heretic who helped Henry VIII form the Church of England, the Protestant Church of England, what becomes the Church of England, he was still administering the Eucharist on the tongue, in the mouth. Martin Bootser found out about this and rebuked Cramner and said, you're not a real Protestant. If you're a real Protestant and you really deny transubstantiation, you will insist that the Eucharist be placed on the hands and Martin Butcher said to Cramner, furthermore, if you're a real Protestant, you don't believe in this mass and transubstantiation, you'll have the people get up off their knees and stand up. So Martin Butzer told Cramner, look, if you're going to get people not to believe in transubstantiation to be real Protestants, you need them to get standing for communion and communion in the hand. And of course, they all agreed, you got to have wooden tables out amongst the people. All the Protestant reformers wanted this. And by the way, all the Catholic counter-reformers didn't want this and the popes didn't want this. How come all of a sudden in the 1960s, these theological and liturgical experts say, oh yeah, let's do what Luther did. Oh, and by the way, they had Protestant ministers at Vatican II giving their input and advice on these things. I want to go to Mass at a Catholic Mass. I don't want to go to a Catholic Mass that was remixed by Protestants in the groovy 1960s. H to the no, hard pass. I don't want that. So this is what Luther was doing. Here he is with a smug look. He is, well, he's not laughing because he can't laugh right now. But he's thinking, wow, I can't believe this Pope Francis guy is actually doing what I wanted to do inside the Vatican, inside St. Peter's. Now, the other element here that people are scandalized, especially Protestants and even well-formed Catholics, is if you look at the altar, pardon me, if you look at the Luther table, you'll see an upside-down cross. I wonder if I can make this any bigger. Yeah, there you go. See the upside down cross? Has a spear on it. Okay, I know Satanists use the upside down cross as a way to denigrate Jesus Christ. You're turning redemption on its head. However, there is a tradition in Rome 
of using a upside down cross to signify Peter. Why? When Peter was being crucified at the circus, and by circus, I don't mean like a, a Barnum and Bailey. I mean a racetrack at the bottom of the Vatican Hill, Hill Nero Circus. They went to crucify him. They said, oh, you believe in Jesus? He was crucified. We're going to crucify you. That's what we do, Romans. Ha ha, idiot. And he said, I'm not worthy to die like my master Jesus. Turn the cross over. I'll be crucified upside down. And so they obliged St. Peter and they crucified him upside down. This is very important when we find the bones of St. Peter under Pius XII. I document all that in my book, The Eternal City, Rome and the Origins of Catholic Christianity. In that book, I note how the skeleton of St. Peter is missing the feet. There, even though the feet has many bones in it, there are no feet bones in the skeleton of St. Peter below the altar at St. Peter's. Why? Probably because when Peter was upside down and he was dead, they had to take him off the cross. They never probably had taken an upside down man off the cross because they always did it the other way. So a lazy centurion pulled out his sword or a hatchet and just chopped him off at the ankles and brought the body down. The ankles, the feet didn't make it into the tomb. That's my, that's my take on it. So that's why there's an upside down cross. However, St. Peter's is one of the most visited churches in the world, perhaps the most visited church in the world. Uh, when I was 18 year old, 17 or 18, I went to Rome with my family and visited St. Peter's. I was a Protestant. I was overwhelmed by the beauty. I had many questions about what I saw. People are going to come into St. Peter's and they're going to see a table out in front of a nice altar, a table with an upside down cross on it. And that's going to raise questions. I just think it's not a pastoral move to have an upside down cross that people are not going to understand. This is the altar of St. Joseph. It's apparently the, the year of St. Joseph. Why can't we honor St. Joseph by having a beautiful altar of St. Joseph? Why do we need to have this wooden table with a confusing sign on it? And what, they're just going to bring up little folding chairs around this in a circle? That's what Luther wants. And don't tell me, well, yeah, I know Luther was all about it, but in the Novus Ordo, we mean something different. No, you don't. Be honest. You get, your, get a Jesuit. Get yourself a Jesuit, liberal, get a Chicago Jesuit, and buy them two apple teenies. Get two apple teenies into your Chicago Jesuit and get them talking. And get them talking about liturgy in the Eucharist. And they'll tell you, yeah, we don't, the Tridentine Mass, with its emphasis on the transcendent and sacrifice and distance and the laity apart. And the priest up high, three steps on the altar. And the deacon, the subdeacon, all of that is old, medieval. It's not the contemporary understanding of who God is and who we are. The modern way, the updated way of understanding liturgy is its community, its encounter, its experience. It's a meal. It's a family meal. Food, folks, and fun. That's what it's all about. So if it's food, folks, and fun, you're going to want to put some balloons up there. 
You're going to want to bring in some clowns, some puppets. Maybe the priest can wear a superhero. Avengers on his chasuble. Yes, that's happened. I know it doesn't happen everywhere, but it happens too often. Because once you take the emphasis off sacrifice, see, it's here's the thing it's a sacrifice and it's a supper. We do receive Christ in the Holy Mass, but it's more a sacrifice. This is why, in the theology of the Catholic Church, you must attend Mass. Every Sunday of the year, you must attend Mass. You don't have to receive communion every Sunday. That's not required. You're only really required to receive communion one time during the Easter season to receive the body of Christ. You're only required once, but you're required to attend Mass every Sunday and Holy Days of Obligation. Why? Because you, as a Catholic, you as a baptized Christian, have to weekly encounter Christ on the cross, sacrificed, offered every single week. And when the priest says, the peace of the Lord be always with you, three times in the Latin Mass and drops a particle of the host into the chalice, that symbolizes Christ's resurrection when he says to the apostles, peace be with you, when his body and blood came together. So, by attending Mass, even if you don't receive communion, you are being sanctified and you are coming into contact with the primary purpose of worship, which is uniting with Jesus in his offering of his humanity and his merits to Almighty God. You enter into that upward flow of adoration and of gratitude giving thanks, which is what Eucharist means, Eucharistia. So we Catholics, especially since the 60s, we have to remember Mass is chiefly sacrifice. Secondary, it is supper. It is meal. Otherwise, we would have to receive communion every week, but we don't. We're not required that. We're required to be present for the sacrifice, to witness the sacrifice. I don't know where Pope Francis is going. Well, I, I, there's a trajectory here. And I just, God will not be mocked. You can't come in to St. Peter's Basilica and start moving around the chairs, moving around the furniture, restricting, judging, enforcing tyranny upon the church. By moda proprio, moda proprio, moda proprio. Rule by moda proprio. Whatever happened to rule by mercy, rule by love? I'll close up here by saying, just a kind of a comment on Francis. Francis, I think, initially had a reputation of being the relaxed pope, the pope of mercy, the likable pope. But he's turned into, even liberal Catholics are seeing him more as the grumpy old man, the curmudgeon who says one thing but rules in a different way, pretends to be the nice grandpa, but actually is quite stern behind the scenes. I 
I don't think I'm projecting my own opinions when I say this, but I, I really do think if you look at the popes of the last 100 years, maybe even more, can't think of a pope who is less liked than Francis. He's become an unlikable pope. Even amongst liberals, there's a certain Francis fatigue. So, we can't hate him. We're not allowed to hate him. We have to love him. We have to show charity. We have to pray. More rosaries for Francis. More masses for Francis. More fasting for Francis. And hopefully, if he doesn't change, hopefully whoever's next or whoever's next will come in and say, take that table out of here. Let the priests and the people come back in and have their private masses. Restore the generosity of Pope Ben the Sixteenth. Let's have more Latin masses. And not impose the errors of Martin Luther. There's a picture of Martin Luther and statue in the Vatican. Let's not impose the errors of Martin Luther. Do I have it? I don't have it. I thought I had it, but I don't have it. Let's not impose the errors of Martin Luther and John Calvin and all these Protestant heretics upon the church 500 years later. No. No, no, no. All right. Tonight, I will be uh, premiering, it's already come out at Catholic Family News, but I'll be premiering the Archbishop Vigano presentation of his own response to Pope Francis. I went in, I cleaned up the audio, I did some compression, I removed some of the reverb and the echo, got the audio cleaner because he has an Italian accent, I want you to understand him. And I've prepared that file and I think it's going to be 7 p.m. Central tonight. So if you want to actually see Archbishop Vigano in the flesh presenting his response to Pope Francis right here on the Taylor Marshall podcast, make sure that you subscribe and hit the bell and you'll be notified when that happens tonight. Also, I've been working hard and I'm making all these videos on the rosary, how to pray the rosary in Latin, why to pray the rosary, how to pray the rosary what about Luminous Mysteries, how to pronounce, all these things. And those will be coming out at the end of this week and into next week. So if you want to see those, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, please like this video. Please share this video. And before I go into Pray the Rosary every day, let us pray a Hail Mary for Pope Francis. Oremus. Wrong slide. Nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ator mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicuterat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Nomini Patris, et Filii, et Spiritui Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, pray the rosary every day. We must pray the rosary. I had a great quote on the rosary from from Pius XI. Listen to this quote from Pius XI. 
The rosary is a powerful weapon to put the demons to flight and to keep oneself from sin. If you desire peace in your hearts, in your homes, and in your country, assemble each evening to recite the rosary. Let not even one day pass without saying it, no matter how burdened you may be with many cares and labors. End quote. Pope Pius XI. He says it's the most powerful weapon against demons and against sin in your life. And he says, don't let one day pass without coming together in your home as a family to pray the rosary. So if you're not praying the rosary every day, you're not on the team. That's Pius the 11th. Not a YouTube guy. Pope Pius the 11th. He says, pray it every single evening. So pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. That quote is in my book, Rosary in 50 Pages. All right, friends, thanks so much for watching. May God bless you. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and God speed. Tune in later tonight for Archbishop Vigano.